You thought we'd start the show off like that? Birdland BS. Check it out. So, Fred, you remember that movie um, Big Daddy with Adam Sandler? I do. And, you know, looking back, there was a part in the movie where the kid's, like, leaving, and he's like, I'll wipe my own ass. <laughs> <laughs> and if if you were in the room, you know, about five minutes ago, I'm basically <laughs> wishing my kid. <laughs> That's but, hilarious. Uh, uh, I mean – Every time, that's that's what I think about that movie. Because my kid will go to the bathroom, and he, he's afraid he's going to get, like, his hand in the wrong spot and get dirty. And he wants, <laughs> wants us to check it or do it. And then I'm just like, I just wish my kid would be like, I wipe my own ass. <laughs> well, it, it, it was a progressional thing, right? So he didn't do it right in the beginning of the movie. No. That was, like, the, the grand finale of the movie. But I wipe my own ass. But I wipe my own ass. Like he got to that point, so, so close, you'll close, get there. Close to the end there. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know if you could hear us. Uh, I heard a little bit of I it. Heard a little bit. Yeah, I figured yeah. you could, but I'm just like I figured that that'd be a good funny intro. <laughs> so it's been going on, man. It's uh, it's been a couple weeks. We haven't talked in a while. Yeah. Um, nothing. Like I always say, nothing out of the norm. Um, yeah. Same old, same old. I got uh some. We purchased like single game tickets for the Orioles. Those came in the mail today. Um, so nice. That's cool. You uh, working on your connection for the opening day tickets or what? Yeah, she she called. Um, well, we talked to her last night or the night before. I don't even remember. But um, today was the day she could purchase tickets. Um, nice. And she has a partial, you know, thirteen game plan, I believe, and. She said that she'd be able to do it today, and we haven't heard from her. Uh, I don't really put a whole lot of pressure on her because um, she's doing us a huge favor. So we basically are waiting to hear from her and see if anything happened. And if not, we'll go the same route as most people. Um, what did you uh, – do you get a say in those tickets or like do they just kind of – they are what they are? She, she asked um, like, hey, how much are you willing to spend? Right. Um, her ticket and is there anywhere you would like to sit and she kind of goes off of that and we get what we we can based on those two um qualifiers i guess awesome um i just like to see the scoreboard and i don't like to be under the upper deck so far yeah it gets so cold back there and windy and whatnot especially on opening day when it's typically a a colder day I just I've don't been, like because you can't follow a fly ball. Like, well, that too, <laughs> but I mean, I've I've sat back there quite a bit on opening day just because they tend to be some of the cheaper lower level seats, and uh, and I, I've sat back there. I was there during the uh, the snow uh, back in like the mid two thousands when we had the snowstorm during the middle of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, a few games that were just super super windy and super cold. They are uh, 
miserable seats to be under uh, for sure. But yeah, from a fly ball perspective, it does. It cuts it off. It, you know, you can't yeah. can't really gauge the depth. I think I sat under there once and learned my lesson. And then we got right. my wife went to the game with some friends of hers through work way back when, and I went and I was like, oh, they got these seats. Like, what are they doing, amateurs? Right. But um, you had any any luck? I know you were looking. You were putting feelers out. Well, yeah. So I'm going to take this time to give a big shout out to uh, Maria Glorioso uh, at Sportsaholic121 on Twitter. So in regards to opening day tickets, typically I, I go the route most people go. I go on StubHub or I go, you know, one of those other ticket avenues and end up spending probably double face value or if not more. Uh, depending on the year. And I just figured I'd put a generic post up on Twitter the other day saying if anybody had any idea of how to get, you know, cheaper opening day tickets, you know, hit me up. And uh, I've never talked to this girl a day in my life. I have no idea who she is, but she was kind enough to uh, send me a message and say she's got, you know, a connection within the Orioles. This person apparently has worked for the Orioles for 10 years and, uh, she can get me tickets without an issue. Now she's got to wait until someday this week. Maybe that was today, Mm -hmm. um, to figure out the availability and all that stuff. And it was kind of the same thing, kind of the same questions like what's your budget, you know, how much are you willing to spend? And, you know, I'll get you, get you the tickets without a problem. So, uh, big shout out to Maria. That's uh, that was huge. That was Greatly appreciated and uh, excited to hear from you and find out where the uh, the tickets are going to be. Wow, well, that's yeah, cool. I yeah, man. Know that. Power of social media. It's Fred's pretty awesome. That. Fred is on Twitter. <laughs> I love the Twitter. That's where I get all my news. It's where I he stay is. in the know. I'm not on any of it. You know, I'm I'm just hanging out. Well, you're on it. You're just more of an observer. Yeah, you I'm don't really uh, you don't get into the the dirty of talking to people and trying to put your opinions out there and whatnot. You just kind of sit back and, re- and read the funnies like the old comic books. Yeah. <laughs> Get your popcorn ready. But, right. Well, we got some, uh, some big topics I think to cover uh, this week, you know, with the, we'll start out with the, the Ravens, you know, obviously there's a lot going on uh, with the draft slowly, but surely, getting closer uh the nfl combine just wrapped up and got a chance to look at some of the projected picks for the ravens i mean obviously we all know what their needs are you know they their desperate need of wide receiver help desperate need of playmakers in general and uh the combine was able to uh show where some people shine and show or some people don't. Did you get a chance to watch any of the combine this week? No, I um, I saw like a lot of videos of different individuals on like Instagram, um, right? Yeah, nothing. I didn't sit and I, di- I didn't turn the NFL Network on and watch it. Okay. I saw um, just a handful of like, hey, this guy really performed well on this, and right. Uh, there was a it was a white guy who like ran really fast and Deion Sanders was like yeah Deion went like, out and <laughs> I, I I didn't I, I didn't expect that 
He's like, why, why? Well, I can't say why, but you we know. all know why. <laughs> but it was like it, I saw he that could run, run. Yeah, <laughs> he went out there and gave him, a, you know, gave him the old handshake or high five or whatever. Did you watch the uh, the Rich Eisen forty yard dash? I, I saw it. I think it's cool. Um, I was hoping he would like go nuts or you know he's had a lot of his times are in the same ballpark yeah he's, he's pretty a consistent of, <laughs> a couple of sub six second ones like five nine something right i think but uh you know i was like man he he was looking like you know he might have lost a couple lbs or something so i was like maybe he's gonna go all in and, and do something crazy but um <laughs> that that just that seems pretty cool that he's done it i mean they've got like 10 years worth of data on the guy now because of this. Right. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's become quite the spectacle. I think it just kind of, he just did it one year. Uh wasn't anything that, you know, he was planning on doing, I don't think. And uh, it kind of stuck and it's been fun. I know Under Armour sent him some pretty cool looking cleats uh, this year to run in. Um, That's just but man, off the whole cleat thing. But talking about sub, uh, sub six, um, 40 yard times, you know, they, uh, I don't know if you heard or saw, but, uh, I think I know where you're going with it. Where's that? Jerry Coleman. Are you talking about him? Oh no, no. Jerry Coleman. Yeah. Yeah. He did it in the, uh, the one Oh five seven studio today. I saw a couple, I saw Goodell do it. And then I seen today, um, Jerry Coleman was doing it. Right. Right. No, but, uh, Actually, going into talking about the draft and talking about the you know potential picture, a lot of people before this combine had the Ravens. You know, we know the Ravens sit at sixteen currently in the first round. Um, there's been a lot of mock drafts, and these mock drafts they don't really mean anything, especially until free agency and people start signing players through that. And then you kind of get an idea of, okay, well, they didn't do this through free agency and they didn't do this through trade. So this is kind of what they're going to be looking for in the draft. So these pre free agency mock drafts don't really mean a whole lot, but a lot of, a lot of mock drafts had the Ravens uh, going with the unpopular pick, but the safe pick of another offensive tackle Um, couple of the names and, and, most, I guess, most attached to the Ravens um, would be Orlando Brown, Zeus. Uh, you know, his his father obviously played here. And, you know, him being a, a big, did really, big tackle, did really well in college, um, was high on the draft board, you know, a, a projected first round pick. And a lot of people had him going to the Ravens put up one of the worst statistical combine uh, results in history, Uh, not just from a 40-yard dash, but, I mean, just across the board, statistically put up one of the worst combines um, just under a six-second 40-yard dash. Rich Eisen almost beat him. Right, that's what I'm saying. It it got real close. They, had, um, they were doing a thing, and they had all the guys running, and like with you know they have uh, wherever they can take, and they'll have Rich running, and then they'll they'll have the the other guy overlaid, and it was like uh, Brown was like the closest to to losing to him, but he just beat him at the end, I think. Right. 
yeah, I, I saw that. I didn't realize at the time that was um the son. I yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he, he had a great college career. Um, I mean, he didn't let up a single sack last year at the collegiate level. Um, so when you look at his stats, you know, I mean, he, he jumps off the charts and it makes you think, you know, with the pedigree that he has and his just pure size. I mean, this guy's mammoth uh, that he would be, you know, easily a first round pick. And, you know, if you put him on the opposite end of, of Ronnie Stanley, that kind of shores up your offensive line for, for a long time. Uh, but he had to have been one of the biggest losers at the draft as far as combine results. But, you know, that's all in what you take the combine as, you know, how much can you really put into combine results um, as far as, what they're going to produce at the NFL level. I mean, does it really matter how fast an offensive lineman runs a 40-yard dash? Not really. I mean, unless you're doing, you know, offensive schemes where the tackles have got to get out and get up the field and block and that kind of thing. But if you're just talking about pure pass protection and and basic run protections, it really means nothing. Um, I mean, even at some of the, the skill positions, I forget who it was, um, that sent out a tweet yesterday. This is one of the top wide receivers uh, in the league. I can't remember who it is, but he sent out a tweet saying 40 yard dash means absolutely nothing except on special teams on kickoff. Cause I mean, in reality, like how often are you running 40 yards in a straight line? You know what I mean? You're, you're really not Antonio Brown didn't, light up the 40-yard dash at the Combine, but look at him. I mean, he's our top wide receiver in the NFL. Same thing with Julio Jones. Didn't light up the board, but he's one of our top wide receivers in the NFL. So it's all in how much stock you put in the NFL, or in the uh, in the Combine. Um, but either way, the Ravens sit at 16, and we know what the needs are. So... We've seen a couple guys, uh, his names floated around as far as wide receiver goes. The biggest one uh, being Calvin Ridley uh, out of Alabama. You know how much Ozzy loves his uh, <laughs> loves his Alabama guys. Uh, a lot of the early on projections had him going early in the draft, like number eight to the Bears. Uh, but since this combine, a lot of people think the results that he put up uh, have kind of hurt his stock. Have you seen anything on this? Yeah, no, I, um, I've seen a lot of it just because he's been on the radar and, um, it sounds like he's going to be a, a late first round or early second round pick. Um, but if that's the case, you know, if he's still the best wide receiver out there, then, um, that could be good for the Ravens. But, I mean, if the guy is performing so bad that, I mean, is there a better option that early for you at this point? I don't know. Right, and that's that's kind of where I was going with this whole thing. I mean, <clears throat> I think Ridley didn't do himself any favors uh, at the Combine. Um, I agree with some of the experts saying that he's hurt his stock. Uh, and this guy was a lot smaller than I thought he was. You know, I watched him. In the, in the national championship game. And he looked like he had a bigger upper body than 
when I saw him without pads on. I mean, this guy was six foot and 189 pounds. I mean, 189 pounds is a sm- pretty small guy. Um, he still ran a good a 40 time. He ran a 4 4 40, but he only ended up managing a 31 inch vertical and a nine foot two inch broad jump. Those are the types of things that you use to measure like explosion, um, how fast you can kind of get from, you know, one end of a route to another versus just running in a straight line. Obviously, the 40 yard dash is how fast you can run in a straight line. That's easy enough. Um, but some of these other measurements are for, you know, the explosion level of a, of a wide receiver. And that's kind of on the flip side of that, where local guy out of Maryland, DJ Moore, I think took a massive jump forward. You know, DJ Moore was being talked about maybe, maybe a late second, early third round pick uh, by most. You know, a few of them had him a little higher than that, but most people saw him as a late second, early third. Um, but I mean, he ran a 4440. He had a 39 and a half inch vertical. I mean, that's eight inches higher than what Ridley ran or what Ridley jumped. Uh, and he had an 11 foot broad jump. I mean, he had by far the 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 longest broad jump of the wide receiver group. Um, guy's a sure handed wide receiver. He he fights for the ball. He's a smart route runner. Um, the only thing that you can kind of maybe wonder about is his size again he's another six foot guy i mean he's 210 pounds so I mean, he's got some muscle to him he's a bigger guy and to carry that 4-4 speed at 210 uh is pretty impressive uh but what are your what are your takes on dj moore would you like to see him with the ravens i think it you know we were talking about it i don't know whenever um and you brought up the whole tory smith thing like drafting a local guy but um he he was a great receiver despite um the injuries and everything they had a quarterback over there at maryland um you know he had some accolades um coming out of that season um like you said he definitely uh outperformed a lot of the wide receivers um at the combine i i wouldn't mind seeing it um and he's probably. I don't, where 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 do you see him landing? What what do the mock drafts have him at? Is he? So I mean, some how, people how have him. Some people have him as high as like late twenties in the first round, and then some people have him, you know, really high up in the second round. So that kind of leads me to my next question. You know, we know the Ravens are sitting at sixteen, mm-hmm. and Calvin Ridley has kind of really evened himself out more so with DJ Moore than he has put separation. You know, you don't have like that small group of wide receivers that kind of set themselves apart and put themselves at the top of the draft. We don't have that this year. It seems like we have a lot of really good wide receivers that are kind of equally balanced um, that, Maybe the Ravens, the smarter thing for the Ravens to do would be trade back 
And, you know, if you trade back later in the first round to get somebody to, you know, go after maybe a quarterback that they covet and that kind of thing, maybe you pick up another second rounder, maybe you pick up another third rounder, and then you turn what would be one wide receiver into two wide receivers or a wide receiver and a tight end in the second or third round. And now you've got a couple of targets uh, for Flacco and you're not putting all your marbles on one player. Now you've got a couple. Um, Maybe this year is, you know, I know a lot of Ravens fans aren't big on seeing the Ravens trade back. They'd like to see the Ravens trade up and get a better player. And that's the sexy pick and all that. But to me, I, I think the smarter move this year with the team's needs, and they've been very vocal about what those needs are, I think there's more value in trading back and and getting a couple extra picks out of it. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. Depending on uh, what free agency dictates and um, if we're going to go after a free agent wide receiver or even making a trade, um, I'm okay with that. If you're, you're, you're strictly looking at a wide receiver, if – you know, Calvin Ridley's not your guy or he's gone um, and you're interested in a guy like DJ Moore, then, yeah, I'm I'm perfectly fine with, hey, let's, let's give that up, get a couple, you know, maybe a, a late second. I don't, I don't know what you'd get for it, you know, if you gave up the 16th spot. You're right in the middle. but um, It depends, man. It, just, it depends yeah, on how, how desperate and, teams are, you know. And it's boomer bust in the first round. So, exactly. Uh, it just seems like we're, you know, if we needed a running back, you know, there's Barkley's up there, and you know he's a good running back. You know, there's a handful of quarterbacks up there that look really good, but they're still boomer bust. And it's like you said uh, several weeks ago, you don't want to waste a first round pick, right? You don't you don't want to go after a guy and not be sure and. I'm sure they're looking at it. I, I know it's more than Alabama. You know what I mean? I, I don't think – I think it's a – he looks at those guys because he likes the program and he knows the program. Oh, it's a damn good program. But <laughs> I don't think he's going to take a guy if he knows in his his uh, his heart that, hey, this guy, he, he's just not the guy for us, and I don't think he's worth the pick. I, I do think they'll either go for another position, like you said, um, whether it's a lineman or whatever. They even got a guy putting um, uh, whatever the the one quarterback uh, Baker. What is uh, it? I was going to get into that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it later. But you know, I, I think if it's if it makes sense and you can get enough for that pick, you can back up and you can get a couple wide receivers out of it versus just putting all your eggs in one basket and go after this one guy and and not be a hundred percent sure about it. Right now, and I, I agree with that. I just think that. In, in this draft, you don't have – it's really not divided evenly into first-round, second-round, third-round talent. I know that there's a first-round, a second-round, a third-round because that's just the way that they are picked, but the, the talent level's not separated on that in that way. I think you have, we'll say, about 10 players that are on that elite level – that are worth 
being in that top 10 picks, right? After that, it gets back to what I talked about, like you said a few weeks ago, where it's more of a gamble. And I think the more chips you have in the pot, the better your chance are at winning. And, you know, if you know you're going to have one first rounder and one second rounder, if you can turn that into a later first rounder and maybe two second rounders or a later first rounder and two third rounders, I think your chances of finding what you're look, looking for grow substantially. Um, and especially at the wide receiver position, like I said, there's just not that group of wide receivers that set themselves apart from the rest of the pack. I think there's a really good pack of wide receivers that are going to fall in that late first to mid second round. Uh, and if you can hop in there and get two of them, I think you're doing yourself better. Um, but you had mentioned, uh, and like we talked about earlier, you know, these projections mean nothing until free agency happens, uh, until some trades happen and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, there's some interesting names out there for, for the Ravens, uh, you know, Allen Robinson from the Jaguars, he wasn't tagged. Uh, you know, he's coming off of an ACL injury, but, you know, a younger wide receiver that's put up over a thousand yards, you know, a couple different times with not the best quarterback in the world throwing to him. I think he'd be a good piece to look at and probably on the affordable side be- because of the injury. You just don't know what you're kind of getting into there. Um, Sammy Watkins from the Rams. He wasn't tagged as well. I mean, this guy was a high first round pick with Buffalo, kind of wore out his welcome in Buffalo, was traded to uh to the Rams. I think it's more just a a cap casualty type thing with him. You know, I think his price tag's gonna be too high for the Rams. Um, you know, and obviously franchise tagging him would have put him somewhere in the sixteen million dollar range. It just didn't make sense financially for the Rams. And Rams have a, a decent amount of targets down there. Um so, you know, that's an interesting name. And another name from 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 the Rams, uh Tavon Austin, another local guy. You know, his he's uh possibly going to be a, another cap casualty and be cut uh, with the salary that he makes and the amount of money that it would save the Rams. Now that's a guy that he hasn't been what he was in college and he hasn't kind of lived up to the hype. Um, whether that be the system that he's in or what, you know, he had a, a, a good rookie year and a good sophomore year and then he's kind of been plagued with some injuries and all, but I think a change of scenery for a guy like that, um, and what he can bring to the table as far as a returner and that type of thing as well. That's a guy that, you know, you can get on the cheap, bring bring him in, uh, maybe replace like a Campanero with that kind of guy. Um, I don't know. I mean, have you heard anything about these guys or do you have any opinions on these three? Um, I like Allen Robinson. Yeah. Um, I've liked him. When he was healthy, he was great. Um. And you know, I'm I'm strictly get it, Fred. <laughs> he's over here. Fred's trying to sneak in a drink. Uh, he's uh I was parched. Wrapping his arm around his mind. <laughs> but uh Alan Robinson, uh 
Yeah, I, I had him in fantasy, uh, like, what, what, I guess three years ago or something like that. He just he really performed, and then uh, I I liked him then, and then I know the injuries, guys go through that, and, and they have a a dip right. in their stats. Um, I just feel like I know he can produce. I know he has the ability to be a number one receiver. Right. Um, Landry, did you talk about Landry? Right. We'll we'll get to that because these are going to okay. be some of the trade targets out there. Yeah. Okay. Um, who was the other guy you were saying? Um, uh, Sammy Watkins and Sammy Tavon Wa- Austin. Okay. Yeah, Tavon Austin. I don't have much to say on him, but Sammy Watkins, um, he could he could be good, but I just see him um, falling in line with your buddy Macklin. I, yeah. I just don't know. He he just seems like a guy. He might have attitude, or he might be bad for the locker room, or he just might be, a, you know, lazy. Um, I think okay. he's a good receiver, but I, I don't know what we at this point. I don't have confidence. I, I don't know him well enough to say this uh, with any um, credibility. But I just feel like in my mind, he. I don't know what you're going to get out of him, and he, he could be uh, hit or miss. Um, right, Tavon Austin. I know he's he's got some speed. Um, I know he showed up, um, had some big games. Um, but I think I just, he's I he's kind of like a to me. You could almost know. you could almost use him in a Danny Woodhead kind of role, uh, and I think Jeff Fisher kind of used him that way a few years back, where he would kind of line up as an H back uh, in the backfield, and obviously nine times out of 10 when he's lined up back there, it's more so just pass catching out of the backfield and that type of thing. But he's got that explosion that he can go the distance at any given time. I mean, he can make somebody miss and he's got the top end speed to be able to do it. I don't think he's an every down wide receiver by any means. He's not a number one or number two guy, but he fills a a good important role. You know, Campanero when he was healthy uh, was, was very valuable to the team and, as much as I like Campanero, I, he's just had too many injuries. Um, he's just too risky of a player out there, to, you know, from an injury standpoint. That I think it's time for us to move on from him, and I think Tavon Austin would just be a good replacement, replacement. in that sense. Yeah, um, if you're looking for that out of him, then I, I I can't argue that it's a bad call because I just I don't see him as like you said I don't see him as a one or two. I just I don't. I, I, that's why I like Robinson because I know he's a number one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sam Watkins is is probably a low end one, uh, high two, right? In, in my opinion, and then Tavon would definitely be a perfect fit if you're looking to swap them out. He'd be an upgrade for Campanera, in my opinion. But and then some of the other targets out there now, obviously, they're going to have to go about this a little differently. These are players that would be available through trades. Um, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of hype around Jarvis Landry and and a lot of the Ravens. You know, with Tony Jefferson and Eric Weddle and some of the other guys trying to recruit him on social network to come here. Um, Dolphins ended that. Well, at least they ended the easy path by franchise tagging him. Um, but the the whole reason behind franchise tagging him was so that they didn't just lose him and get absolutely nothing out of him. They didn't plan on 
franchise tagging him and keeping him. Obviously, they've made it clear to Landry and his agent to seek out a trade. Um, I'm I'm kind of mixed feelings on this guy. Um, I like him, and I think he'd be a mass improvement over anything that we've had here from the wide receiver position in a long time. But with that said, it's going to cost a lot to get him here. It's, it's going to cost draft picks to get him here. Uh, and it's going to cost a lot of money in the salary cap to keep him here. And this guy had over a hundred catches. I mean, he's had over a hundred catchers multiple years. The problem is he had over a hundred catches last year, but under a thousand yards. You know, yeah, they, so they say his his receptions are um, not really skewed, but he's had a lot of short pass catches. Um, exactly, it's a lot is, of Dink and Duncan, which is great for Flacco because that's it's his mo. Exactly, <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm like, I'm I'm at a loss as to figure out which way do I go with this guy. I mean, his biggest play last year was 49 yards. Okay. You know, I mean, that's kind of alarming for a guy that had over 100 catches. His biggest play is 49 yards, but he's a move the sticks kind of receiver. You know, he's sure hands. Um, he finds the open spots on the field. Um, so from that perspective, you know, he's a great wide receiver. He's going to keep the, you know, the offense moving forward. But I think if you get a Jarvis Landry, it can't stop there. You know, Jarvis Landry isn't the fix, fix all for the Ravens wide receiving core. I think he's a big plus, but you have to have guys around him that can take the the top off the defense. You got to have that Tory Tory Smith kind of complimentary wide receiver because that's exactly what what we did in 2012 when we won the Super Bowl. We had that. Dink and dunk wide receiver, the move, the sticks kind of chain receiver and Anquan Bolden and Torrey Smith reaped the benefits of the long balls off of that, you know, and vice versa. They played well off of each other. And I think if you're going to build a wide receiver core around Joe Flacco's strengths, Jarvis fits that mold well at a very expensive price, but that it can't stop there. You have to find that other guy or two that can take the top off the defense, whether that be through the draft or whether that be through another free agent signing, whatever it, you know, it can't just end there. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I I think you have to make at least, you got to add a number one and a number two and they got to be not interchangeable. I'm trying to think of the word, but they, they got to be able to work, work with each other in 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 different ways yeah in different ways i i definitely look at you go back to you know should we draft a wide receiver and i i think the whole if if you're going to make a trade or you're going to get one of these guys in free agency you're still going to get i think you're going to get the uh the counterpart out of the draft um i, I like Allen robinson you know I, I was looking at the uh, combine results here um, for the receiver and DJ Moore is like looks looks pretty uh, solid. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he so. really really boosted his stock, and I think if you can get him 
and this isn't just a Homer thing. This, you know, this would be if he was out of the university of Texas, I, you know, I don't care where the guy played. It just so happens. He's a local guy. Um, I think if you can get him late first round and still pick up a, another second or pick up another third by trading back and doing that, I think that's the smarter pick than wasting 16 on Calvin Ridley. Not to say that the pick would be a waste. I just think you'd get a better player marginally in DJ Moore, and you can pick up another pick out of it. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, but we'll see, man. A couple guys that are popping up here. I mean, we'll see what the hell happens. There's been some crazy (laughs) mock drafts out there, uh, including... One from a former Raven, Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, this guy used to be a scout for the Ravens. Okay, I knew he was a scout. I didn't know he was a former Raven. Former Raven in the sense that he was a scout. He, okay, he, okay. he was a former Raven employee, we'll say. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he had the Ravens staying at 16 and having Baker Mayfield, uh, quarterback from Oklahoma, Heisman Trophy winner, Mr. Charismatic himself <laughs> falling to the Ravens at 16. I, I just, I kind of chuckled at it, but then it, it made me kind of think like, all right, the backup, the backup quarterback role is in need for the Ravens. I mean, it is a need. They, they've kind of, I think they've, they're done with the Ryan Mallett experience. Um, he filled a role for a couple of years uh, but they have to have a backup quarterback. I don't think now's the time to necessarily find Flacco's replacement, but they have to fill that role. And my question to you is, do you think the Ravens should fill that backup quarterback role through the draft, or do you think they should sign somebody through free agency? I, it, you know, you go back to the press conference, State of the Ravens or whatever that that was with um, Bashadi. He basically said Flacco's your guy, right? And I I don't think they really have an option to get rid of Flacco until after next season, not this season, but next season. So I don't know that it's worth taking a quarterback. Early in the first round, what if Baker Mayfield's there? If Baker Mayfield is there, or one of these top five quarterbacks that everybody's touting at sixteen, do you make that pick? I, I think it's, yeah, it's fine. It, I'm okay with it. If if one of these top five guys is there, yeah, I think it because one, I think it'll piss Flacco off because yeah. he he seemed real perturbed about Kaepernick coming here. Oh yeah, I remember. Um so I think competition would be good for him. Um and if you can get one of those guys at 16 I, that's kind of what that guy uh Jeremiah's um theory was like hey, if this guy's available, they'll probably take him because the value is there and they need a quarterback. And you always hear me, you know, we take the best best guy on the board, you know. Right. So I, I do think they would. I mean, I don't think it's – I think someone else they need is going to be there. It's going to be hard to say. But 
I just I don't know what they're going to do because they're so set in their ways with like, hey, we're going to relinquish this and we're going to get a couple extra picks, and they I think they just they like having a handful of picks. Okay. Um, I I don't know, man. I, I don't know these guys well enough, and I'm really afraid of these quarterbacks in the draft. I just don't trust that they're evaluated properly. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that as well. I think that for the Ravens, I think you have to make that choice prior to the draft. I think you have to make that decision prior to the draft, and I think they've already made that decision, in, just like you said, with what Bashadi said in the state of the Ravens, that Joe Flacco is our guy, and... He's, you know, he's in his early to mid thirties. Uh, he's, you know, he's expecting Flacco to be around for quite a few more years. Um, so I think if you're going into the draft with that mentality and you know, the importance of finding playmakers and wide receivers is your biggest need, uh, you know, regardless of the temptation of taking one of those top five quarterbacks that are there, I think you avoid that. Uh, let somebody else that covets and needs that quarterback come up and take that position from you get the picks because right now you can find a backup quarterback through free agency you know there's a guy out there that can fill that role um you know it won't cost you a whole lot of money and it keeps you from wasting a draft pick on that position so that's just kind of my stance i just thought that was an interesting mock draft especially for somebody who used to be a scout for the ravens i just thought that was strange yeah, I, I I saw that too, and it was it was kind of trending um, locally. A lot of people were buzzing about it, um, right? But I I don't think they'll I don't think they'll take a quarterback. I don't even think the guy will be available, and I think we have bigger needs than him um, prior to the next two years happening. Yeah, I agree. There's there's, there's going to be like a Kirk Cousins out there. Like, I mean, this guy's on the market. And I think he was uh, he was in the early 100 round pick area. And right. He he's definitely a pretty decent quarterback. I just I I feel like there's somebody better than Flacco out there, but we kind of let it run its course. Yeah, he got another year or two left with him, regardless of the situation, just based on contract. But yeah, we're 45 minutes into this thing, Ryan. Um, we're gonna go over an hour on this show because I I wanna. I really do want to spend some time talking about the Orioles. Um, I'm excited, man. Baseball is coming around the way. We talked about opening day a little bit. You know, I got my ticket connection. I'm starting to get <laughs> excited for the team. I, I mean, look, there's, there's. I'm glad you got a ticket connection, man, because you've been overpaying for years. Oh, I know, man. <laughs> it's, I deserve to find something. So uh, I hope this all works out. Uh, again, thank you, Maria. I appreciate it. Um, but look, we we all know that this team has a lot of holes, has a lot of question marks around it, but we also know that this team's got a lot of exciting players on it. And, you know, this might be where we could 99% with certainty say that this will be the last time we get to see Manny Machado in an Orioles uniform and the him playing with, with scope and the camaraderie that they have and just the excitement around um, what has been a good run uh, with this team for the past five, six years. Um, So I'm excited for it, but let's pick apart this roster. So we know at some point 
They've got to go down to a 25-man roster. Uh, there's still some holes. Uh, I think there's three bullpen spots that are still open for grabs. There's a lot of question marks around the fifth starter position. Um, we have no idea, and I'm going to get your opinion in a little bit, on who the leadoff hitter is going to be on this team. Um, who's going to end up playing in right five, uh, in right five, in right field. And uh, we got a lot of rule five guys on this roster right now. Who's going to make the club? Who's not? How many, if any? Uh, so let's get into it, man. All right. 25 man roster. I think is going to break down like this. You've got nine everyday guys, including the DH. And we can, pretty much name those nine guys off pretty easily. Um, You're going to have five starting pitchers, a seven-man bullpen, and a four-man bench. Two outfielders, typically one backup catcher and one utility guy. That's typically what your 25-man roster looks like. Um, So let's kind of – let's start with the fifth starter role. Um, There's only one job – to win we've already got four nailed down uh there's a couple guys out there that i think have the potential to win the fifth starter if there's no other additions made to this team uh i think right now who we're looking at mike wright miguel castro and one of the four uh one of the fifth round or i'm sorry rule five guys uh nestor cortez uh Mike Wright, I mean, we've we've kind of we've we've seen him over the years. He's had some success early on. Really emotional kind of guy. Uh, struggles to be consistent. But here's the thing with Mike Wright: he's out of minor league options. So this is it for him. This is either boom or bust. And I think that could almost be relaxing in a way. Because I think with him being such an emotional guy and being such a like a mental guy, I think the fear of being sent down to the minors and that kind of thing has always kind of weighed on him with all those options that he had. And he was back and forth between here and, and Norfolk. Um, so maybe that's you know that's the key for him, and he'll put it together and he'll win this fifth smart, uh, fifth starter spot. But we shall see. Uh, Miguel Castro, we saw him a lot last year, more so in a long relief role. Um, I think he's got good experience, obviously, at the major league level. Uh, I think he's got the most upside of any of the three uh, with some of the some of the, he's just got he's got good complimentary pitches. He's got a lot of movement on his pitches, a lot of deception to his delivery. Um, and he does have a minor league option still. So I think that gives Bucks some play with him if need be uh, to kind of see how maybe this Rule 5 guy, Nestor Cortez, might work out. He's, I don't know, have you seen or heard anything about Cortez through spring? I, no, I haven't really. Um, I looked him up because um, I knew we were going to talk about these Rule 5 guys. Right, and one of the biggest uh, notes they had on him was he he threw a lot of strikes last year. 
not a lot of balls, and uh, he didn't give any home runs up. So um, I think that's what drew Duquette in on this guy. But that's true. Anything as far as performance um, through spring training? Well, he's done pretty well. Um, he's he's pitched four innings. He's got three Ks. He's you know mid four ERA so far. I mean, it's just very very small sample size in the spring. Uh, thing with him is, you know, as a Rule Five guy, he he came from the Yankees organization. He played a lot uh, in their Triple A and Double A uh, farm system last year. Did really really well, uh, but he would have to stay here all year uh, in order for him to complete the transition from from New York to to the Orioles. Um, I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, I think he's got a strong shot at making the club. Um, and I think we'll kind of get in, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it with, with some of the other, uh, some of the other questions I want to ask you as well. But I think, I think he's got a strong shot at making the roster. Um, it, we'll, we'll expand a little bit on the fit, the, the rule five guys making the cut. Cause there's a bunch of them. Um, you've got Cortez who we've already talked about. Uh, you've got Jose Mesa Jr., who obviously has the uh, the ties to his father, Jose Mesa. Hasn't done very well so far in the spring. He's gotten roughed up. He he lacks control a little bit. I think he'll be probably one of the Rule 5 guys heading out. I think he's pitched uh, a little over three innings. He's got like a 12-point-something ERA. He's just, like I said, lacks control, a little over three uh Walks to hits per inning pitched. He, what I what I saw in him was he, you know, he was a single A guy, high single A, right, and 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 that was really it. And it's just a huge jump for for a kid to to go from single A to the major. So I don't maybe maybe you see something in um you think he's. He's worth the risk, but I mean, if you got to keep that guy on the roster, he's, he's going to have to maintain um, throughout the season to be able to do that. Or I don't know their stance. Like you send the guy down, and you you risk losing him. Maybe they're afraid to lose, not afraid of losing a guy like that. But right, I, I haven't seen anything great on him either. Actually, the only things that popped up um, when I was doing a little bit of research was that um, he kind of lost control. Um, a little bit of his control this spring. So, yeah, exactly, and that wasn't wasn't anything good. <laughs> well, staying on that uh, high A ball type pitcher, there's another Rule Five guy down in spring training that uh, came from the Cubs organization. Let's see if you can say this guy's last name. I think it's Pedro Arojo, but I'm not I'm not sure if that's Arajo Arajo. Not sure how you pronounce it, but uh, from the Cubs organization, and like I said, he he played a lot of uh, advanced A ball, which is like the equivalent of the keys. Um, I was reading an article that Dan Connolly wrote of the uh, BaltimoreBaseball.com. Dude's got electric stuff. Uh, he's pitched in three games. He's got three innings pitched. He's got three Ks. He hasn't given up any runs. He's only given up one hit. Um, I think he'll push for one of those open bullpen spots. Uh, I think he's absolutely worth carrying to start the season. Uh, 
And if he proves you're wrong later on through the season, you let him go, you bring somebody else up, uh, and you send him back to the Cubs. But he's worth, in my opinion, making the roster in a bullpen uh, spot and uh, seeing how he does. His stuff is just too good to pass up. Even, like, I agree with you. It's a huge jump going from single A to the majors. Uh, But at the end of the day, if you've got that kind of stuff and it can work at this, you know, at this level, which in the little bit of sample size that he's had so far in the spring, it has, uh, it's worth the risk. Um, So I, I think he pushes for one of those spots as well. And then obviously the last Rule 5 guy, uh, another guy that I think is a no-brainer to make this team, Anthony Santander. Uh, no-brainer in multiple ways because he's an outfielder that, that's got a lot of pop, uh, young guy, but he's only got to be here for 44 more days before it's official. Um, so once he's past that 44-day mark, if they feel like you know he's struggling, he needs to get back to the minor league level, they can send him down at the minor league level, and he's still an Oriole at that point. So I think coming out of spring training, um, he has a real good shot at making the team. I mean, he's got great power potential. He's, he's got 27 at-bats. He's batting 333. He's got two home runs and seven RBIs so far in the spring. Uh, so, I mean, he besides Machado, I think he's the hottest hitter down in Sarasota right now. He popped up today. I know he had he he must have at least had an RBI or something because I got an update. His name was in the mix, right? Um, so I I think out of the four, I could possibly see three of these guys making the roster uh, again without any outside signings coming aboard. Just the way the roster sits right now, I think three other guys, three of those four, could make the roster opening day. Um, but we got to figure out first and foremost, um, what they're going to do with that fifth starter role. I mean, we talked about Mike, Wright, We talked about Mikel Castro. We talked about Nestor Cortez. Uh, personally, I think they start the year off with Mike, Wright, Give him one final go because he's got the experience keep Castro and Cortez in the bullpen in the long relief role. And if they have to move them around and rotate them around and put Cortez in the, you know, starting rotation and put right back in the bullpen, I think they'll do that. Um, Cortez is also a left-handed pitcher and that's one of the lack, uh, lack of talent on this team is they don't have, any good starting left-handed pitchers. And I think that's where he could really benefit this team. Um, Obviously the future is Hunter Harvey. He's looked really, really good in the spring. Uh, You know, his velocity is up at 96, 97 on occasion. Buck and Dan are really, really high on him. He's obviously not going to make the team out of camp. This guy, you know, he's coming off an injury. He's probably going to be on some kind of innings count, but, uh, I think he's obviously the future and I'd like to see him sooner rather than later. Any opinions on him? Um, I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him someday. I mean, ever since he was drafted, um, you know, I've heard nothing but good things and then the injuries, um, injury of course, but, um, it sounds like he's pitched really well. They're really happy with him. 
and uh, maybe later in the season we'll get get to take a look at him. But like you said, they're they're going to monitor him, take it easy, kind of like um, similar, I guess, to Bundy. Right. Uh, Guy's twenty three years old, man. It seems he's, like he's young. It, it seems like he's young, but. They drafted this kid out of high school, and he's already twenty three years old. Like that's, I, it just seems like it was yesterday that they drafted this guy. But obviously, it was quite a few years ago they drafted him. Now, um, yeah, it's uh, got to be close to five, right? So you know, you at some point, I get the whole innings thing because you know he's coming off the injury, and you don't want to put too much stress on the arm and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, it's it's time to shit or get off the pot. And you got to see what you got in this guy. And he's got the potential. You've got the need for him. I want to see him on this roster before the end of the year. And I don't want to have to wait until next year. I just think that he needs some exposure at the major league level now and carry that over into expectations of making the roster next year right out of spring training. Just my opinion. I, I kind of agree with it because I know they tend to do that with these guys, especially pitchers. They kind of keep them down there in the minors and they, I don't know, coddle them or whatever you want to call it. And they basically, uh, I think they did it with Britain, you know. They yeah. came up, he came up, he pitched well, but they were worried about paying him. So they sent him down and um, he's been back and forth. And I, I think that, you know, the fragile people – as far as their, their minds are, and um, I think they want to compete on a professional level. And if a kid's that good and he knows it and he's not getting a chance, it, it could mess with him. So right. I'd, I'd like to see him up there. But so I know the, you're not going to see him right away. So, but the other uh, the other decision and thing I'd like to see what the Orioles are going to do. Uh, is the outfield. I mean, obviously, we've got Adam Jones and Trey Mancini locked in as your everyday center and left fielders. But you've got right field. You've got your fourth and fifth outfielder positions uh, that are kind of up for grabs amongst a a big group of guys. Um, Obviously, Anthony Santander, we've talked about him already. Uh, He's one of them. Colby Rasmus, a uh, guy did not want to see the Orioles sign, but they ended up picking him up. Uh, I mean, he's got decent speed. He's got decent pop. He's a left-handed hitter, but he's just another high strikeout, low on base percentage kind of guy. I just, I don't see the benefit in having him, but, um, you know, I mean, he's got the experience. Uh, you've got Craig Gentry, who he's one of Buck's favorites. Uh, he can play all over the outfield. He's a hard-nosed player. I'll give him credit. Um, kind of reminds me of another Nolan Reimold kind of mold. Um, you know, he's got the potential to be a good hitter, but needs to play at a consistent level, you know, to really see it. And he's just not going to get those consistent at bats. Uh, so, you know, I don't really know what to think with him. Obviously, we got Joey Rickards still out there. He showed promise early on in his career, uh, but he's had some injuries and hasn't been able to get back what he had um, when he was a Rule 5 guy. Uh, He needs to be more consistent and improve his on-base percentage as well. And then 
in my opinion, my pick for the Orioles rookie of the year, you've got Austin Hayes. Um, now, I don't think he's going to start out the year on the roster. I think he's going to start out in the minors to get some at-bats because he's been battling with some shoulder injuries right now. Uh, but he brings a ton of versatility. You know, he can play all over the outfield, so he gives you somebody who can play for Adam. He can play for Trey. He can play anywhere that you need him to play in the outfield. Uh, so he's got great speed. He's obviously one of our top prospects, so I, I really want to see him get out there. Uh, but, you know, there's only so many spots. What do you see happening with this outfield? Well, I know your two that are locked in are, you know, Jones and Mancini. Right. Uh, are are going to be locked in. And then if if Rickard stays healthy, he'll he'll be in the mix. You've got three. You've got outside of Mancini and Jones, you've got three spots. Yeah. You got uh, Rickard, Santana. I, I'd like to see Hayes. Um but if he's dealing with injuries, like you said, he's, or you know, he you know you might not see him. Um, Santander, uh, Rickard, and then uh, I think they like Rasmuth. I think they said he he's doing doing okay over there. So okay, um, yeah. I mean, you've, you've there. There's a lot, and then Trumbo, even though he's the DH, you know, he's going to play outfield from time to time right yeah he's that kind of i can you know substitute for somebody if there's injuries and things like that if i need to but he's pretty much going to be your everyday dh moving forward he could even sub for davis at first base if he needs to you know he's got that experience so he's he's got a little bit of versatility to him but he's going to be primarily a dh um I agree with your picks. I think Anthony Santander is a no-brainer he's got to make the roster you've only got to keep him for 45 days I think Colby Rasmus, as much as I don't really like the signing, I think he's one of the better options that we have. Uh, So really, to me, I think Austin Hayes is eventually going to take that final spot. But for now, I think he starts the year in the the minors uh, to get some at-bats. So it leaves it between Craig Gentry and Joey Rickard. Personally, I think they end up sticking with Craig Gentry just because he's a Buck kind of guy. I think Buck just really, really likes him. Um, he's never he's never really seemed to be too high on Rickard. So I think Rickard honestly is the odd man out. Um, I don't know what his situation is with uh, minor league options and things of that nature, but uh, I think he's the odd man out. He always had the uh, the thumb injury or something, you know. So right. I, I could see that happening. With Gentry, so who knows? I mean, there's the other thing that you have to consider too is that there's still one last roster spot, and that's the utility position that's usually being filled by Ryan Flaherty. Um, There's really nobody on this roster that fills that utility position, uh, but it's a roster spot that either and Buck likes to play with that spot. He either will keep the extra bat or he'll put an extra arm in the bullpen and he kind of flips flops that spot back and forth. Uh, but I think if we're just strictly using that position for another position player, I mean, obviously the, the Orioles signed Danny Valencia back um, the other day and, and it was kind of a surprise signing. But I think he gives another bat uh, that hits left handed pitching really well. Um, so he's in that spot 
and and Rickard, I think, follows into that spot too. So if if they don't address that spot, which I still think Flaherty somehow ends up back on this team. I don't think he makes the Phillies roster, and I think he ends up back here. Um, that's just my opinion. But if we have to go with somebody that's on the current roster, I think it'll be Valencia uh, or Rickard for that final spot. Okay. Yeah, I think that you know he he can play third too, so that gives you a little bit of backup there. Right. Um, every. It sounds like Beckham's doing fine over there, but uh, I know he gives you that option. Right. And another guy that I, I, I didn't really talk about, and <clears throat> I actually had a conversation with uh, Rock Cabaco, uh the other day from Masson on Twitter. On the, on the Twitterverse? On the Twitterverse. You were um, like all up in that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a guy uh, that's getting overlooked a little bit right now uh, is Cedric Mullins. Uh, this guy, I mean, he is, in my opinion, he's a Brian Roberts clone, except for the fact that he's an outfielder. Um, very patient hitter. Uh, it's got a lot of, a lot of speed. Um, he is a prototypical leadoff guy. And that's, what this team lacks. I mean, they really, they don't have anybody on this roster that you could say is a prototypical leadoff guy. If I asked you today, who leads off for this team? Who do you, who do you think leads off? Beckham. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's not the sexiest pick putting Beckham out there, but I think he makes the most sense. But again, Another guy who strikes out a lot, doesn't have a very good on-base percentage. He played really, really well uh, for that you know first month, month and a half that he came over here in that trade. Played great. But you can't expect that day in and day out from that guy. That's just not what he's done throughout his career. I mean, he, was, he would have been – if he played like that every day, he'd be MVP. Right, exactly. His stats were crazy. Right. Um. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, he makes the most sense for what this team has right now because if you look at the roster, there's just nobody else that you can plug in there. Um, you know, and and it goes to show just how important a guy like Brian Roberts was to this team. I mean, Brian Roberts, you plugged him in every day as your leadoff guy, and he was a guy that could foul the ball off six, seven times and really work a pitcher's count up uh, and get a pitcher out of the game early because, you know, every at bat he's throwing 10 pitches to Brian Roberts. Well, if he's got four at bats, there's 40 pitches he's thrown to one player. You know what I mean? So you can get a guy out of the, out of a game early. If you've got batters that are patient like that and can foul pitches off until you get something that you like to hit. And I think Mullins can be that guy. Um, and I was talking to, to rock Kabako about it and he thinks Dan and Buck are really, really high on him. Uh, they really like him, but they feel like he's got to prove it still that he still has, you know, he's got to come back from some nagging injuries that he had with his hamstring, um, and get back to the form that he had before the injury, uh, and progress double to triple a before he comes up here. But I think that's a guy that'll be knocking down the door, uh, not too far in the future. I'll write that down. I'm going to follow up on it. 
I'm excited, man. I'm, look, this team's got a lot of, I know a lot of people are obviously upset with the Manny situation and you can throw me into that category too. I'm upset that, you know, this is going to be the last time we see him in an Orioles uniform, but there are a lot of young guys out there that I think this team isn't, isn't going to be too far away. I mean, you've got Mancini, which if he keeps showing progression in the way he progressed last year is a great young guy. You've got Hayes, Austin Hayes. We talked about him. Um, I think personally another guy that they might want to look at as a leadoff hitter down the road when he gets into the starting role will be Chance Cisco. Chance Cisco, you don't typically see a catcher as a leadoff hitter, but he's another guy that can work the count. He's got a good on-base percentage, um, got a decent speed for a catcher. Um, so based off the options that we have, I think he'd be a good fit down the road. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's, it's, he's not your prototypical catcher. Just watch. Uh, I hope you're right. I would love it. So you got Anthony Santander, another young outfielder with good power. Cedric Mullins. We talked about him. Ryan Mountcastle. We haven't even talked about this guy, but that's another young, obviously third baseman. That's probably going to be the replacement down the road for Manny when he leaves Uh, his bats already ready. It's just a matter of getting his defense down. Uh, Former three, three doubles and a homer. Yeah, he's done well. And then you've got former first round pick out of Florida State, DJ Stewart, another guy, another left handed hitter who struggled in his first season uh, in the in the minor league system, but has really really turned things around and done well. So look, there's a lot of reasons to be excited. Bundy can be if he can take the next step. Gosman if he can take the next step. Hunter Harvey's on the way. There's a lot of reasons to still want to come out and watch this team, uh, you know, and just enjoy it while it lasts. But that's it, man. It's it's an hour and fifteen minutes into this thing almost. Uh, uh, keep going, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but again, I do want to thank one last time uh, Maria Glorioso for the connection for the opening day tickets i'm excited for that uh, so i look forward to hearing from you soon uh, as far as the show goes www.birdlandbs.com find us on all the interwebs between itunes and google play and uh all of them i mean that we're we're all over the place google search birdland bs you can't miss us uh for, for birdland bs i'm fred i'm right all right see you guys As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain But that's just perfect for an Amish like me You know I shun fancy things like electricity At 4.30 in the morning I'm milking cows Jebediah feeds the chickens and Jacob plows Fool, and I've been milking and plowing so long that Even Ezekiel thinks that my mind is gone I'm a man of the land, I'm into discipline Got a Bible in my hand and a beard on my chin But if I finish all of my chores and you finish thine Then tonight we're gonna party like it's 1699 We've been spending most our lives living in an Amish paradise A churn butter once or twice living in an Amish paradise It's hard work and sacrifice living in an Amish paradise
schoolboy kicked me in the butt last week. I just smiled at him and I turned the other cheek. I really don't care. In fact, I wish him well. Cause I'll be laughing my head off when he's burning in hell. But I ain't never punched a tourist even if he deserved it. An Amish with a two, you know that's unheard of. I never wear buttons, but I got a cool hat. And my homies agree I really look good in black, fool. If you come to visit, you'll be bored to tears. We haven't even paid the phone bill in 300 years. But we ain't really quaint, so please don't point and stare. We're just technologically impaired. There's no phone, no lights, no motor car. Not a single luxury. Like Robinson Crusoe, it's as primitive as can be. We've been spending most our lives living in an Amish paradise. We're just plain and simple guys living in an Amish paradise. There's no time for sin and vice living in an Amish paradise. We don't fight, we all play nice living in an Amish paradise. Hitching up the buggy, churning lots of butter. Raise the barn on Monday, soon I'll raise another. Think you're really righteous? Think you're pure in heart? Well, I know I'm a million times as humble as thou art. I'm the pious guy the little omelets wanna be like on my knees day and night, scoring points for the afterlife. So don't be vain and don't be whiny, or else, my brother, I might have to get medieval on your hiney. We've been spending most our lives.